Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So, sit back and relax, or, you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. When I first got involved in the kink, leather, and BDSM scene, my assumption was that it was going to be a nonstop sex party, pretty much, right? And by sex, I meant, you know, people having flagrantly sexual interactions, like penis and vagina, penis on penis, penis and butts, penis and vaginas on boobs and butts, whatever the hell you want to do, right? What I quickly discovered is that that is not true. And some of it is for legal reasons, and some of it is for practical reasons, and some of it is for space reasons. And a lot of it actually is because a lot of folks who engage in kink and BDSM and leather see those acts, you know, like the kinky act of tying someone up, for example, as supplanting their need for actual explicit sexual contact a lot of the times, right? So what you'll get is someone doing an entire scene where they come into the dungeon, they say hi, they go to the snack table, get their cheese cubes, wander over to the spanking bench, set their shit up, get their submissive draped over it, spank the night away, and then go home and fuck. Now, the thing is, big secret here, I'm going to tell you, the scene, quote unquote, as in the kink, leather and BDSM scene, as in the subculture that exists around folks who gather to explicitly do these sorts of things, is not necessarily the place where people go to have sex. A lot of times folks go there and will see the scene as either its own self-contained sort of unit or as foreplay. And really, let me tell you, the public scene is really designed and built for two groups, exhibitionists and voyeurs. Think about it. Why do I need to get my ass up off the couch and go outside the house to do my sexy times? I sure don't. I will tell you one of the most hilarious moments that I had in a relationship where I was dating someone who was not involved in the kink and BDSM scene, sort of formally going out and doing stuff, but was freaky as hell in the bedroom, said to me as I was trying to sort of encourage him to come with me to a kink event, why the hell would I go out and beat your ass when I can beat your ass right here? And I was like, you know what? You have a point. This was my ex, the pizza guy. May he rest in peace. What a delightful and a missed human being he was. But this is the point, right? If what you want to do is freaky shit, you don't have to leave your house to do it. Why would you? Well, there's lots of reasons. Perhaps you live in an apartment. (laughs) Perhaps you live in an apartment and you don't want your neighbors calling the cops on you. 
for a wellness check while you have someone tied up and uh, full of needles and dildos, right? So that's the one of the basic reasons why if you're not an exhibitionist or a voyeur, you might go to a party because you don't have room at home. You don't have all that awesome, sexy equipment in your own house, right? Or it could very well be that you want to go meet folks. And in parties, it often is an environment where people go to meet new partners. And it's also a really good way to sort of vet folks in whom you might be interested in playing. Let's say I'm new to a scene or a community. I've moved to a new city or I'm attending an event and I don't know a lot of people there. I can go to the play party on the first night or early on. Take a look around, see whose play style I like, see who seems to have good vibes and shit. And then go and strike up a conversation with that person if they're willing and see if we might be compatible for play. So that's another really good reason to go out and play. But the reality is that the public scene is really built for people who want to show off their skills or people who love to be seen or people who want to watch other folks. And that is healthy and awesome and fantastic. So often in the kink and leather and BDSM communities, you'll see people sort of rolling their eyes at voyeurs or, you know, for example, when I lived in San Francisco and I was first coming up in the scene there, there was a a club called the Power Exchange. And one of the main subsets of folks visiting the Power Exchange were a group of generally cisgender men that were referred to as the Towel Boys. And the reason for that is because they were folks who were not there explicitly to play. They really wanted to watch and maybe get in on a scene if possible. But you don't necessarily want thousands of those people running around because it might discourage the folks who actually are there to play. And so in order to get in to the power exchange, if you were not a player and, you know, they could really tell who was there to play. They had their gear, they had their bags, they had a look, they had a vibe. If you weren't a player, but you wanted to voyeur, you could be what was called a towel boy because you would relinquish your clothing and you would get a towel to wear throughout the club. So you could be easily marked. And also being mostly naked for, for most people humbles them a little bit, right? So you're less likely to feel like you are king shit of turd and start waving your shit around when you're naked in your shoes and everyone else is in head to toe leather, right? There's a psychological component to that. But the reality was that the towel boys frequently created kind of a, a an awesome atmosphere, you know, if you are someone who's an exhibitionist. One of the first times I went to the power exchange, I went with the guy who was my then dominant. He was really big into rope bondage. And this was the mid to late 90s. And so rope bondage was this particularly Japanese rope bondage or shibari was pretty new to the scene. And so folks would be very interested when they would see someone who was obviously doing one of these scenes. Now, I am a fat bitch. And the reality is, I feel good about that. And I also sometimes feel very self-conscious because I do live in a world where being fat is not necessarily seen as the default sexy body type, right? So walking into a dungeon space, removing all of your kit, and then standing there while someone wraps a bunch of rope around you and then hauls you several feet up in the air can be a bit unnerving, right? Just emotionally. But I'm there, I'm doing my thing, right? And so in the power exchange, one of the areas that they had was set up sort of like a bunch of jail cells. And there was a hard point in there. And the good thing about this was that people could get close to you and see you, but they couldn't get too close to you, right? So, you know, you were sort of in a cage doing your thing and then folks could come around and watch and you were fairly safe. 
So on this particular night, I was with this dom and we were doing some rope bondage and I was being suspended and got up into the suspension and was, you know, doing my breathing and everything else. And as I'm hanging there trying to sort of get my Zen state on, I hear on the other side of the bar, someone whispering to someone else and then they're going (laughs) and laughing. And when I say this took me the fuck out of my headspace, I cannot stress enough how much it took me the fuck out of my headspace because I'm thinking, okay, fuck, come on, you got, come on, this is really terrible. But my dominant was completely focused on me. I said, you know what? This is not about whoever's giggling over there. Fuck them hoes. I'm just going to focus on the scene. A couple minutes go by. I hear more whispering and now more people are giggling. Now there's like five or six people like all snorfing and giggling. And I'm like, what the? fucking shit. Now, my dominant, who is off in his own world of rope and fat bitches, doesn't really notice until the third time that someone like chortles out loud, like just is like, (laughs) and I start shaking because I'm so angry and so humiliated. And then he starts to notice something is going on. And I'm just like, (laughs) they're laughing at me, about to ruin the scene. And he stops and looks at me and checks in and goes, are you okay? I'm just going to go and see what the fuck is going on. So he walks over and mind you, this is a very chill, low key California guy, not super huge social skills, but I gave him props for like trying to go and take care of this situation. So he walks over and I see him as I'm slowly rotating with like one foot up in the air, the other foot crossed in front of it, sort of in a hanged man kind of position as I'm twisting around in the rope. And I see him with a very solemn face having a conversation with someone. And then he stops. And as I'm rotating, I see him turn and look at me. And then he starts laughing. And I'm like, oh, no. The betrayal. The betrayal. And so I'm as I'm like, seriously, now hyperventilating, I'm finna give him some shit. The moment he walks back over there, so he comes back over. And as I open my mouth to be like, what the fuck? He says, Okay, Mo, you need to understand that in this position, people can see your tattoo. And I got to admit, it is pretty funny. Now, for those of you who don't know, on my hip, I do happen to have a tattoo that is a replica of the USDA prime grade meat inspection stamp. So, When these folks, good gentle perverts all, happen to gather around the bars to watch a very sexy rope bondage scene, and then the woman hanging up, very much like a (laughs) drawn and quartered steer, happens to actually have a meat inspection sticker on her hip. Yeah, that shit was funny. So now I'm laughing, and now they're laughing. And we're all just like, this is fucking hilarious. So yeah, sense of humor needs to be paramount in these scenarios. But again, the reality is even at the power exchange, which was explicitly a sex club, you very rarely saw people having sexual intercourse or explicit sexual contact. Very rarely. In the 15 years I lived in San Francisco, I think actually at power exchange, I maybe saw people fucking or doing explicitly sexual contact things maybe five or six times, a small handful. Very interesting, I found that. The first sex party that I went to was actually at this place that was called the Ferry House. It was in San Francisco on 14th Street in the Mission District. And I'll never forget walking in there 
nervous as hell. And then seeing a bunch of people on the floor and realizing that I recognize one of them. And then I recognize the second one and the third and the fourth. And they were all just five or six of my friends all piled up in a stack of people humping and sucking and fucking. And I was like, look at this. How delightful this is. And I showed by and caught someone's eye and they were like, hey, Mo. And I was like, hey, you guys. And I thought, well, how terrific it is just to walk in and see your friends having fun and having a great time. Now, at this party, I was not playing. I was there just to observe and to check out the scene and see what happens. But I was really kind of inspired. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe sex parties are something that I can get into. I'm not an exhibitionist, which is going to sound weird because you're like, but Mo, you're an actress. Yes, yes, I am. However, I don't like sexual exhibitionism because the reality is as someone who has been a performer since birth, I mean, I've been performing professionally since I was approximately six years old. So there really isn't a way for me to separate an audience from people hanging out and watching me from a performative mindset. And so some part of me is always going to want to perform and is always going to be concerned with angles and impression and projection and interaction with the audience once people are watching me. I just, I can't turn that off. So part of me is like, what am I really doing if I'm at a sex party? Is it for me or is it becoming for the audience? And there's nothing wrong with having your sexy times benefit the people who are watching you. That's hot as hell. This is not necessarily my kink. Subsequent to that, I didn't go to any other sexy sex parties in the Bay Area for a couple of years after that. Then I had the fascinating situation where I was invited to a swinger convention. Again, not really my thing. However, the reason I was invited... It wasn't even because someone wanted to have sex with me. No, no, no. It was because friends of mine who were part of a triad wanted to go as three of them. And it was two men and a woman. But the reality is in order to attend swinger events, if you are not a couple or you are not a single woman, the price starts to change. Or in some instances, you can't go at all. And so what they were doing was hiring me as, I swear to God, this is the term in the swinger communities, a cunt for the door. And basically that just means you need pussy to get in the door. You go your separate ways thereafter. And so my friends were saying, look, we want to bring our third along. We'll pay for your trip. It was in Reno. We'll pay for your trip to Reno. We'll get you your own room so you don't have to deal with us and our craziness. And then you can check out this convention. And I thought, okay, great. As a fledgling sexual educator, I thought maybe I could pick up some tips, see if the swinger people might need some education in BDSM and maybe, you know, throw my offerings into the ring and and see if maybe I could teach there. When I got to this event, I was astounded by how white the gathering was. Oh, my goodness. I was one of maybe five or six other identifiable women of color there. There were some men of color. Um, substantially more than women of color, but there were just not a lot of non-white women there. It's a very interesting, very weird sort of place to be. And then I walked into the playroom at one point and there were dozens of people getting it on. And all I wanted to do was back out of the room and leave. And I realized that while watching porn for me is fine, watching live people have live sex in front of me while I'm alive 
feels like an intrusion. I feel like I'm like interrupting something. Like I don't want to watch it. It's sort of weird. That weekend, I will tell you, and here's the thing. I don't consider myself to be the hottest bitch on the block, but I, I feel like I'm pretty cute. But I found it very interesting that despite the fact that I was hanging out in these parties and chilling in these classes and doing all the things that one apparently needs to do in order to pick up play at one of these conventions, i.e. have a pulse and be a woman, I was not approached once. And I wasn't like angry or disappointed, but I was confused. I was like, that's weird. How did I go to an entire ass swinger convention and not have anyone like seriously approach me at all like for nothing? But then, you know, I chalked it up to, well, whatever. It looks like a lot of these folks are not really interested in brown folks anyway. And I think that that might have been the problem. In the intervening years since these first formative experiences, I've realized I do not like sex parties. In fact, I fucking hate sex parties. And that is a result of my attending probably about a dozen or so sex parties. And each and every time, despite the fact that I had no expectations, I just went to basically out of curiosity and to see if maybe a little something could happen. And each and every time having some new spicy form of passive rejection smack me in the face. Keep in mind that we're talking about the time frame between myself and my late 20s and early 50s. And so this is a broad range of a period of my life, right? Where you could say, okay, fine, you're a middle-aged lady. Maybe no one just wants to have sex with you because you're a middle-aged lady. But before I was a middle-aged lady, I was a late 20s, early 30s chick, and I was still not getting it. Let me stress this. I've gone to several different types of sex parties and orgies and such from conscious, spiritual, you know, kundalini awakening type of like tantrika sex parties to just regular ass swinger parties in someone's wood paneled fucking garage. Okay. And what I have discovered is that apparently I am just not attractive to people who want to have group sex. I don't know what it is. I've gone to parties where like we've had like circles where you circle up at the beginning and express your needs and wants and desires and talk about what your ultimate fantasy is and what you might be willing to give and what you'd be willing to receive and et cetera, et cetera. And I swear to God, I've had situations where I set my expectations as low as I would just love some sensual massage, mutual sensual massage, and still walked out of there untouched, uncracked open, unnothing. And please don't jump in and be like, but Mel, you're so like, whatever. I know I'm cute. But what I also know is apparently I am just not meant to be at sex parties. I have to sort of add to this. This is all that my owner slash husband, their spouse, Meister Haas, wants to do huge, big, heavy into group sex and all of this shit. And so because I am the dutiful wife and slave, I have tried to orchestrate these things. And if any of you have tried to organize a bunch of perverts into even just having brunch, 
you know that this shit is not easy. So imagine trying to get a bunch of people to perform sexually all at the same time. And this is a thing that always sort of baffles me about orgies and sex parties and stuff. Can y'all just get horny when you want? Because for me, like it takes, like I have to have the right from a mind and I have to like really want to do it. Like just, I can't say like, okay, next Saturday night is the night and I'm going to want to fuck. Like what if I don't? And now I have all these people coming to my house for a sex party. Ugh. <laughs> but the reality is even hosting your own sex party doesn't guarantee that you're going to get the sex you want. I've had several instances where I have gone through a great deal of logistical pretzeling in order to make these things happen. And then still the next morning woke up unfucked. <laughs> like, how is this happening? There is something so discouraging about working on your self-esteem to feel like a strong, powerful, beautiful, awesome person, and to have everyone tell you how wonderful you are and then not get laid in an orgy repeatedly. All I'm going to say is, you know, at some point you have to sort of back away and say, you know what? I'm fucking done. I'm just, this is not my thing. I'm just not doing it anymore. I don't know as to the why, why this is. Because as I say, I've been to these sorts of parties on two different, con three different continents, yeah, at many stages of my life and still just not having any sort of luck with that happening. So I really hate that for me personally. But I also really hate the feeling that people have to perform at these events. And I think that's part of the reason why there's so little explicit sex at kink events. Because if you are into rope, you can pretty much guarantee a good rope scene if both people are present and focused and you know what you're doing. But all of the best intentions and all of the hottest sexual desire doesn't mean that arousal will happen, doesn't mean that you'll be able to maintain that erection, doesn't mean that you're going to get wet, doesn't mean that you're going to actually want it once the moment hits. It's really a lottery, isn't it? And to have that pressure on the day for sex is so mind-blowing to me. A couple of years ago, when Spouse Meister and I were first trying to check out some parties, we went to a party locally that was hosted by a group in Brooklyn. And they assured us and the people who were organizing it were like, we really strive for inclusivity and a diverse range of ages and body types and people. And you are so welcome. And we're so thrilled that you're coming and you're going to be there and blah, 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 blah. On the evening of the party... At one point, Spousemeister and I were down in one of the rooms in the basement. There was a series of small rooms, and we were just doing a little spanking. And he had me over his lap and was spanking my butt. And he was facing the wall, and I had my head towards the door. And I watched person after person over the course of about 15 or 20 minutes walk in, take a look at us, and turn around and walk back out over and over and over again. Meanwhile, you could hear in the room next to us, in the room across the hall from us, all sorts of chatting and loudness and excitement and noise and interaction and all this stuff happening. And the two of us are literally alone in this room. And after about 20 minutes or so, he said, well, I want to go and see what's happening in the other room. And I said, okay. So he went over and got very excited because he was watching these other two scenes. But all I could think was there's two rooms next to us packed with people who are all having sex and watching each other and getting involved and doing all this stuff. And people are so repulsed by us that they walk out of the room to go jam into a tiny hot room to watch pretty much anything 
except to middle-aged pudgy people spanking each other. Or, I mean, I was just the one being spanked. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just so humiliating and so terrible. And after all the assurances that we were welcome and we were, and I was like, you know what? But we're not. We're not welcome. I gave it another shot because A, Georg really wanted to go and B, maybe it was just that night. Maybe it was just those people. Maybe we just got unlucky. However, it was not just that one night. It was not just those people. And yeah, we are unlucky because apparently we're just party killers when it comes to folks wanting to have sex at a kink event, at a sex event, whatever the fuck this was. <laughs> it was billed as both a sex and kink event. So it wasn't as though folks were coming for a sex party and were shocked by spanking. It was definitely a kinky sex party. So we made sure to stay within the rules of the house. We didn't even have any toys out. It wasn't anything very intense. But the second time we went, the same thing happened. And at that point, I said, you know what? I am, I'm done with that. I'm not putting myself through all of that for all of this anymore. I'm fucking, I'm exhausted. And it's embarrassing and it's humiliating. It doesn't feel sexy. The next couple of times I attended events that were being hosted by people I absolutely adore and trust and love. And there were a few people that I knew in attendance. So I thought, well, at least I'll have people to talk to. So I won't be embarrassed if I don't manage to play with anyone. And again, the same thing happened where in the opening circle, I talked about the things I might want to do or might want to offer to someone or might want to receive from someone. And over the course of, you know, a six hour night, nothing, no contact, no massage, no nothing. Now I don't, have any particular rationale behind this. My feeling is when you are trying to do something that's outside of your comfort zone and it doesn't work out, to me, that's a sign that, yeah, you don't need to push outside of your comfort zone for that any longer. For me, it's easy because it is not core to my sensual kink. For the spousemeister, I do feel a little bit more sad because he feels as though because he didn't get involved in pursuing his dreams until he was 60, that perhaps he has passed his prime and that this is not something that's going to be happening for him anymore. And then last month, we visited the Bay Area and wound up for a lot of different reasons, having a lovely private dinner with a bunch of old heads. And by old heads, I mean, some folks who have been around the community and the scene for many, 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 many years. And it was remarkable to be in the presence of these folks, you know. Among the people who were at this dinner were Carol Queen, who is just one of my heroes in terms of being a sexual adventurer and documenter of the history of so many alternative communities, and Dossie Easton, who is the author of so many amazing books, and Annie Sprinkle and Beth Stevens, who are authors and activists and artists and just these powerful, amazing humans who are sort of my, they're my predecessors and my heroes, and folks who are older than me and still enjoying a healthy and wonderful sexuality, separate and apart from going to sex parties and, and not having any sex. I will tell you that being in the presence of these folks who, even chronologically ahead of where I am, 
are still fully in their bodies sexually was so energizing to me. And I realized I don't need to be affirmed by some 20 or 30 something year old in order to feel sexy. I don't need to perform for anyone. I don't need to be affirmed by anyone. First of all, I am just so grateful and happy to be alive. And the competition that really is inherent in a sex party is not for me. Competition, you say, but sex parties, are, yeah, they are to some extent because your goal is to have sex and then once you have crossed that finish line, you've won. Or maybe your goal is to observe sex, in which case you might have an easier time. But for me, the performative aspect, the fact of being around people, it doesn't lift me up at all. And if you're a kinky person or if you're a sex positive person and sex parties are not your cup of tea, that doesn't fucking make you any less hot. I don't think it makes me any less hot. In fact, I feel pretty fucking sexy right now, (laughs) even if no one at the sex party wants to jam their face into my business. I'm here to tell you as I'm looking at 53 that you're sexy regardless. And if what you want to do is go to sex parties, enjoy, but they are not the fuck for me. And it doesn't make me any less of a pervert and it doesn't make you any less of a freak. You can be a delicious, delectable, juicy, sexy, hot freak on your own in your goddamn bed by yourself, baby. <laughs> We don't need any other motherfuckers to teach us that lesson, right? Thank you so much for listening. And I would like to thank all of my wonderful Pippa Patreoners. Because you guys are really making a difference and helping to bring this podcast to the world. So thank you. And if you'd like to subscribe, please do. If you'd like to donate some money, we also have a way to just do that as a one-off on Buy Me a Coffee, or you can subscribe and become a patron, and then I will love and adore you from afar and send you positive vibes even. The best vibes. (laughs) The best and most choice vibes. Have a wonderful week. I love you. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb, theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm-hmm.